0: quite frankly, when people know about the work we're doing, they're usually way more excited and energized to support us because it's not creating dependency and it's not an othering event. It's quite empowering and you're actually making significant impact in the lives of people all across the city.
1: Welcome to the Sask Entrepreneurs Podcast. Each week, we bring you an interview featuring an entrepreneur or business leader in the Saskatchewan province. We dive into their journey, lessons learned, and views on the outlook of the Saskatchewan business market. This episode is brought to you by TwoWeb. Growing your business online is overwhelming. At TwoWeb, we make it simple. Our agency has helped over 700 businesses and nonprofit organizations grow through digital marketing. Learn more and reach out to us at twoweb.ca.
2: Welcome to this episode of Sask Entrepreneur's Podcast. Today, we have John Bailey, who became the CEO of the Regina Food Bank in April 2019. He is responsible for modernizing operations and leading a strategic transformation of an established organization. Prior to joining the team at the food bank, John worked at an executive level in both the private and nonprofit sector in Regina. John also earned his MBA from the University of Regina and has been a speaker and lecturer in nonprofit sector leadership and innovation. In 2020, John was named a CBC Saskatchewan featured 40. He currently lives in Regina with his wife and two daughters. John, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us a little bit about your
0: background and your current role. For sure. Well, right now I'm the CEO of the Regina Food Bank, like you said, and I sort of came to nonprofit kind of organically. It was work I was doing as I was doing undergrad work and sort of realized that there was an opportunity to work through some really big challenges and really have some leeway to work on big, complex things that you wouldn't necessarily get going through private sector. So when you're sort of on partner track at at other organizations, you don't really necessarily have the freedom to take some of those stabs at big problems and work through some things. So sort of found myself staying in the nonprofit sector. And then I think a pretty common piece, the the MBA experience is coming to it, especially as a mid-career or early career professional going like, okay, now I have all these new tools and experiences. It's time to make a change. And that's what I did went off in the private sector for a little bit. And then without any real intention of sort of going back to nonprofit, but then this opportunity arose and went through the process and ended up getting hired on. And like any other newbie, you spend your first six to eight months trying to figure out where your parking spot is and where the washrooms are. And then in my case, that six to eight month coincided with the onset of COVID. So we sort of go from just sort of getting your grounding and figuring out what you want to do. And then all of a sudden you're dealing with generational, I mean, knock on wood, it'll only happen once in our generation of crisis event as we sort of work through the impacts of that folks that are facing food insecurity in our community. Hmm.
2: So, I mean, Regina Food Bank is involved in, you know, a number of projects and they're doing some great things. Can you shed some light on what is it that you love about working with the local business community?
0: What I love working about the local business community is just how open and receptive they are to working on projects that will impact their community and they are all really 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 profoundly good about figuring out where they add value and if you can find that in a collaborative sense you can have some incredible outcomes and that's everything from really traditional events that have sort of going on for 10 15 20 30 years to stuff that starts up and goes like, actually, we want to try this cool initiative and we'd love for it to support the community. How can we work together? And I think that's one of the things that we can really look back on over the past two or three years and sort of go like, the way we've collaborated with businesses has been so different than maybe a traditional set is because again, when we look at food insecurity, like part of it's getting food in people's hands, but part of it's creating the economic circumstances where they have the income to no longer be food insecure. And especially in the pandemic, that meant partnering with organizations and companies and in a lot of ways, helping support be economic drivers of activity and making sure that people have opportunity and a reason to go to work because they're doing events that support the food bank and it creates this virtuous circle of sort of going, people are helping out their neighbors, but then we're helping to make sure that they don't become clients of ours because they get the income coming in from the events. So.
2: Mm it's almost like you want to empower them to be on their own. And, you know, obviously it can be challenging for Regina Food Bank to also kind of be in the circle of helping people, but also have them not rely on that help all the time, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, and that's an incredible challenge. And that's part of what this pandemic has shown is how many folks who never imagined they'd be coming to a food bank for support were put in a situation where they really needed it. And that's one of the things that we wanted to make sure we were there for people for, and and again, we know and we map out the journey of folks who use our services and there are folks who are going to need ongoing support for an extended period of time. And that's okay. And we're there for that. There's also folks that are going to need it once or twice and won't need it again. And we're there for that too. So what we want to make sure is we're working through and making sure that experience is an empowering one and it's truly meeting the need so they can go on and face another challenge. And at the same time, When we do deliver programming, it's really intentionally geared towards trying to make sure that, like you said, we have an empowerment angle. So it's sort of like how to work through things like financial literacy, how to connect with food in a different kind of way to make sure that we're not creating dependency, but we are sort of supporting folks. And we phrase this sort of like we don't give handouts, we give hand ups. And that's what we look to do.
2: So when it comes to the challenges that you're currently experiencing in creating awareness for Regina Food Bank, Considering that, you know, we're going through this pandemic, what are maybe some of the biggest challenges that you're facing? Obviously, because Regina Food Bank does rely on donations and it's a key piece in funding the projects that Regina Food Bank is working on.
0: Yeah, I think the big challenge we have around awareness is actually a brand understanding piece. I think we have you sort of do this sort of street corner test and sort of walk up to somebody in downtown Regina and go like, is there a food bank in Regina? I think nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 times people will go, Yes. And what do they do? They supply food to people. That awareness piece is not our challenge, but we've been really working towards quite intentionally so that brand understanding piece and making sure that people understand that when you support the food bank, not only are you supporting people who need food, but you're also doing it in a way that's scalable in a way that there's no other avenues for it. So. When we talk about our connections with vendors and pre-consumer food reclamation, that kind of stuff, we can stretch a dollar and actually every dollar you give actually has exponential impact. And then we talk about our scale and we try to make sure we're pushing that out in the idea of just going like, yeah, every donation is really important, but understand the scale is we do 10,000 pounds of food out the door every day. And that's an average day, not a busy day. So just making sure that the people understand that and knowing that there's ways to contribute But the big thing for us is, yeah, like I said, it's that brand understanding and also understanding a little bit in terms of that stigma busting in terms of going like the people we serve are quite literally your neighbor in all sorts of times. And we have heat maps of the population we serve and it's every area of the city is represented in that heat map. And that's okay, And that's actually a good thing. That's what we're there to do. But we want to make sure that when we're messaging and communicating that doesn't become a stigmatized piece to a certain demographic of people or a certain regional location within the city. It is everybody, and that's why we look at it as sort of neighbors feeding neighbors and sort of working through on that piece. So that, to us, is the challenge because our name is out there. So people know about it. It's the understanding of the work we actually do. And quite frankly, when people know about the work we're doing, they're usually way more excited and energized to support us because it's not creating dependency and it's not an othering event. It's quite empowering and you're actually making significant impacts in the lives of people all across the city.
2: Mm. So how do you create that awareness uh, for the work that you're doing?
0: Uh, We try to work through it as lean as possible so we don't have um, significant media ad buy budget. So what we, what we tend to do is rely pretty heavily on social media channels, uh, and making sure that we're, we're amplifying that way. We also try to, to make sure we're amplifying through partner channels. So for example, if we're going to put out something in partnership with the riders, like we'll put it out to our several thousand followers and whatever, and then we'll make sure that the writers also put it out to their several hundred thousand followers and sort of get the, get the word out that way and sort of push push through and, and sort of be collaborative. And, and we're very strategic about our investment. So we will we will create ad buys on sort of traditional media channels. But it's not all, all year round, 12 months year pieces for saturation pieces around. Like we want to make sure that we are giving folks, regardless of how they consume their media, an opportunity to engage and, and, and that's everything from TV to radio to Google AdWords, to so all that kind of stuff to make sure we're, we're there. And then, like I said, a lot of the more ongoing stuff in social media, boosted posts, and then, and then doing some work and we're, we're experimenting with geo-fencing and sort of going like, here's an area of town that we think, we can target or we'll do something at a rider game and geofence there so that stuff's coming up on people's phones and sort of doing those things to make sure that, that we're getting our word out in, in a way that isn't cost prohibitive. Because, again, we really do look at it like every dollar we spend on advertising is a dollar that we're not spending on food. So we better make yes. sure we're getting bang for our buck whenever we sort of do any kind of cash outlay to sort of spread, spread the word and sort of pay for communications. Mm. You know, that's
2: interesting. I always think of uh, when it comes to marketing for for nonprofits, it's like marketing for startups. I mean, you have very limited funds and you have to get the most out of those funds uh, and, and you need to focus on what creates the greatest impact, ideally in a short period of time. So it's great to see that you're actually trying some of these techniques for for geofencing and, you know, hyper targeting some of those campaigns, because that can be really fruitful if it's done Right. And I love the mindset that you actually have there because you're actually taking chances. You're taking away money from what could be spent on food to advertising. And it's a risky, you know, it's a risky move. That is exactly why it's important to track that return on investment that you are doing on the marketing. So how do you track that? How do you track that return on investment when you do those dollar spends?
0: I mean, we don't have any sort of, Proprietary sort of algorithms, we use really basic tools at our disposal. So, like, we will sort of see what our conversion rate is based on a geofence through click through. We'll look at what our conversion rate on social media posts are. And then, and then we'll also sort of look at some segmentation, sort of going like, okay, so we ran a traditional media ad at this time we're expecting this much return within this many hours. And like I said, we just we really rely heavily on on tools that are readily available. And 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 in a lot of cases it comes down to Google Analytics and just making sure that we're using those tools effectively. And that's how and that's how we figure out what works and what doesn't. And that's where, to your point, like there is some risk involved in it. But we always also want to make sure we're not getting out over our skis. We're not doing significant investments until it's sort of tested out and proven. So we'll do beta tests here or AB tests there to sort of see like, okay, does this message work? Does this message not work to sort of get that call to action to, to create click through. And, and that's really how we monitor it. And we will absolutely scrap a plan. If it's showing mm-hmm. that like that investment isn't yielding returns and, and, and quite often, especially on boosted posts, like sort of going, like if we're, if we're not getting return on a boosted post, we will, we'll scrap it midstream or we'll change directions on, a series of boosted posts or whatever, if it's not getting what we want. And we have to account for some level of virality where we're sort of like, we want to create engaging content, but we have no idea what's going to have higher levels of virality than others. And we sort of play that by ear. And again, if something does, we'll, we'll see what, if we can dissect what, <laughs> what made that engaging to folks without the help of sort of paid boosts and that kind of stuff
2: this radius. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to track every single thing, especially when it comes to brand awareness and activities that can have an impact in the long term. Right. So, you know, for an ad campaign that that you ran months ago, months ago, you could get a return investment several months later where, you know, it could be indirectly a donation of some sort. And I love the fact that you're actually doing A-B testing because a lot of, I think even like businesses can learn from that. And uh, in today's digital world, marketing is so nimble that you can actually change your ads and you can do those modifications on the fly and start seeing results almost immediately, whether it's working or not. So love the fact that you're actually taking uh, that direction because I think it's uh, definitely a step in the right direction considering the current age that we're going through. And especially when it comes to the current uh, circumstances of COVID uh, pandemic, it can be quite challenging and traditional marketing has gone down quite a bit. So...
0: Yeah, I think so. And again, in addition to A-B testing, we're sort of like we've also started playing around with, and this is probably the piece that we're most risk averse to, but we're trying to sort of force ourselves into it is sort of like what's that option C, which is what happens if we do nothing for a period of time? Like, are we actually at a point where like it doesn't really, the return and differentiation is so limited? Is it a matter of just like saturation and It becomes our our enemy and sort of going like Okay, so what happens if we do nothing? Or what happens if we zag? So, for example, giving Tuesdays on November 29th, I think, this year, November 30th, this year, whatever. We're not doing any asks on November 30th. We know that people's inbox are going to be flooded. They're going to be inundated with appeals and people going, like, giving Tuesday, giving Tuesday, giving Tuesday. Mm. We're not doing any of that. We're sending out a thank you note, and that's it. And just sort of see, like, and what does that do compared to years when we have done it? And actually going, like, We want to stay present, but we don't need to make an ask. We Mm -hmm. can sort of do awareness and impact pieces and sort of change it as opposed to going like, which message solicits a better return, which we also do. But also, like we do look at sort of option C and go like, well, what happens if we self-select and just sort of take ourselves out? Actually, is there a different way to sort of do this to your point of sort of going like, sometimes you're just planting a seed and trying to go, that donation might come six months from now. So you won't be able to directly correlate it to that, but can it make a difference, and can I sort of see what happens again when we sort of make decisions to zag, and is that to make those call to action asks when the marketplace is incredibly flooded?
2: That's true. So, where do you see our, some of the biggest opportunities for Regina Food Bank in the near future?
0: I think some of the biggest opportunities we have is to continue to connect with producers and suppliers of food, sort of getting into more and more heavily into the pre-consumer food space. Mm -hmm. And we've had tremendous success. We have an amazing partnership with Viterra around pulses, but we also know there's a lot of other organizations that we can look to for various types of product. I mean, we are, we are the egg capital of Canada, if not North America. So let's, let's see what we can do to start doing some work to control our own supply chain. And that's one of the things that COVID has really ramped up on our end is sort of going like, even if we have the money to buy food, the food's not always there, and that and that's an issue that we don't know when that's going to run out, and we do we can't and we can't really tell if this is transitory inflation or if we're plateauing. Like there's lots of things to be determined. So, but if if you work to develop partnerships where you control your supply chain because you actually know you have an allotment of X from producer, well then you just call on that on that as you need it, and it takes a ton of the stress out for us as an organization. And it creates a meaningful partnership with the producer because A, they're working, they can see the direct impact of their contribution. And B, it's not an approach that a lot of organizations can take because not a lot of organizations, again, getting back to the idea of scale, can actually take on 250,000 pounds of lentils and disperse them over a year or over 18 months. So it allows us to scale where, where a lot of other folks just can't. So sort of like how do we leverage our strengths to address some of our weaknesses, and that's sort of what we're looking to, and I think that that'll be the big piece for us going forward is how much pre-consumer food can we make sure we're facilitating because that will insulate us against demand spikes and will also insulate us against economic contraction which people just can't donate to the same level they are right now. Hmm. So, where
2: do you see Regina Food Bank heading in the next decade?
0: I think heading in the next decade, we will continue to work to be as, as sort of person-centered in our service delivery as possible, we'll continue to try and break down the geographic and also cognitive process barriers that, that are sort of holding people back from getting food. Right now, our location is a fantastic warehouse, but it is not an easily accessible place for folks who don't have a car. Uh, so how do we get the food to people? where they need it and when they need it will be the the big step for us. And then how do we make sure that we're delivering the quality we intend to do and not just focus on quantity? And we talk about like even earlier in our conversation, I talked about 10,000 pounds of food. 10,000 pounds of crackers is, does nobody any good. But it was 10,000 pounds of fresh produce and protein and dairy And healthy grains and then that that has value so making sure that whatever we're doing we're not chasing volume we're chasing quality and pushing through there so i think those will be the key focus i think if we're successful in 10 years we will have established points of service throughout the city that allow people to get food who need food to get food when they need it where they need it as opposed to the model we're coming out of now where if people need food they come to us uh and that and that'll be the big thing and i think in 10 years that will be normalized like right now it's novel and it's it's testing and it's it's doing all that kind of stuff in 10 years that will be it and in 10 years those same hampers and those same foodstuffs are going to be dramatically more Saskatchewan product. Like it's just going to be, it's going to be local product. The farmers who feed the world are going to be feeding the people facing food insecurity in the city. And so that's where, that's where we'll be in 10 years. It won't be a tsunami change. It will be incremental pieces on that. But that's what I, if I sort of had a crystal ball prognostication, that's what it would look like.
2: Mm. You know, you've had an interesting journey. Uh, If you could go back 10 years, what advice would you give
0: to your younger self? The advice I would give my younger self would be your time is finite, so you can't worry about everything equally. You sort of have to build up plans for how you're going to allocate your time because otherwise you will work yourself into burnout. And that's something that happened to me in my early 30s, so five, six years ago, was just basically tremendously unhealthy, working way too many hours, eating Way too bad food, <laughs> not not sort of being there engaged in a way that that when I look back, the level of sort of disengagement with family because sort of nothing was prioritized and time wasn't a commodity because there's always like, oh, I can just do more. I can just do more. Mm. And don't do that. Like actually prioritize. And if you can focus on a handful of things that will make a difference in your day, a lot of those other messy, noisy things will just fall away. Because if you get the big things done, the little things fall away in a hurry. But if you're focusing on little things, it almost is this form of of martyrdom and procrastination of just sort of like, well, I can't get to these big things. I'm all these little things are plugging on my day, and it's like, well, no, just worry about the big things, and the little things fall away in pretty short order. And that's been my experience, anyways. That's right. I
2: think that's uh, you know, it's always tough for entrepreneurs and uh, busy professionals to have that work life balance. It's. Uh, it's, it's a mystery to me. I'm always working on it. So thank you for that advice. And definitely, I think prioritization is key. I, what, I've, what I've noticed that helps me is that if I try to prioritize certain things, I think there's a really good book called Eat That Frog First or something along those lines, which basically talks about, you know, tackling the, the big uh, task right up front in the beginning of the day so that you don't have to worry about it for the rest of the day. And uh, usually it's the mornings that, you know, people are most productive. So often we tend to waste our mornings uh, if we're late to work or if we're late to a certain activity, then it has this domino effect for the rest of the tasks over the course of the day. So starting your day earlier can be a huge asset for sure. So.
0: And that's not a book I'm familiar with, but that, that's something I'll, I'll add to my reading list because I think that's that that's great advice. And yeah, like I'm more so just, just stealing from Tim Ferriss and, and the idea of write down your top 10 tasks and then prioritize it based on the ones that will make all the other ones irrelevant or unnecessary. And, and again, I'm not perfect at it. There's lots of days when I come in and my list is set. And there's lots of days when I find myself winging it. And if I look back, I go the days when I actually prioritize. Are way more productive than when you wing it. We we all have this superhuman overconfidence in our ability to sort of wing <laughs> it and be productive. So to, just to get through and actually take the time to plan is incredibly important and something I gotta. I, I continually try to get better at and more consistent with.
2: That's true. Actually, the book is called Eat That Frog, uh, 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Get More Done in Less Time by Brian Tracy, Wolf who I'm a big right? fan of. So, yeah, uh, Awesome.
0: <laughs> and I'm writing it down as we speak. I'll add it to my, my iPad uh, when For we get sure. out of this conversation. John,
2: it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, where can people find out more about you and contact you online?
0: The best place to get it online for me is is on LinkedIn, and it's just John Bailey. And then if you want to connect and sort of see more about the work we're doing with Regina Food Bank, it's ReginaFoodBank.ca. And like I said, that tells our story and I think does a good job of exemplifying some of those things we're doing around marketing and storytelling and, and making sure we're, we're growing that brand understanding. And it, it's all sort of centrally located there.
2: Excellent. We'll definitely include a link to your profile as well as the uh, Regina Food Bank website uh, on this podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you.
0: Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking with you.
1: Thank you for listening and we hope you found this episode useful. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can see more information and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at saskentrepreneurs.com. That's S-A-S-K entrepreneurs.com. Com. This episode is brought to you by TwoWeb. Growing your business online is overwhelming. At TwoWeb, we make it simple. Our agency has helped over 700 businesses and nonprofit organizations grow through digital marketing. Learn more and reach out to us at TwoWeb.ca.